Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky's Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky's Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the... Packers lose for everything you need to know. It's Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. This is your host, Alex. Our dear leader Sean couldn't be here this week. He had something come up with work tonight, so you're just gonna get me. But we have plenty to talk about this week. We have the Naperville Bears, we have the Cubs and White Sox, and a little bit of Blackhawks. But before we go any further, I would like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they are the AHL minor league affiliate of your Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You get to see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly, affordable prices. So head on over to icehogs.com. Get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, sign up for season tickets, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. Okay, so let's get right into it. Who wants to see the Chicago Bears in Naperville? Anybody. Anybody at all. Well, Friday, we had an interesting bit of news where the Chicago Bears announced that President and CEO Kevin Warren was going to be meeting with the newly elected mayor of Naperville to discuss, potentially, looking at Naperville as a site for the Bears. This is going on while the Bears are trying to work things out with Arlington Heights. Keep in mind that the Bears have purchased the land at Arlington Heights and have commenced the demolition of the old racetrack, the potential future site of the Bears' new home. Now, this Naperville news comes up. And right now, it's been pretty well publicized that the Chicago Bears are a bit of ways away from finding that common ground when it comes to getting funding through taxes. Not to mention that the property tax is a bit higher than they had assessed. And this is a situation where I think, and I think a lot of people would agree, that this whole Naperville thing is probably a bargaining chip in this whole process. This is going to be a very messy process because the Bears are going to need a lot of funding for this. If they want to make Arlington Heights work, this is going to take some funding and it's going to take a bit of work to get that because they're so far apart. So Project Arlington, whatever you want to call it, Touchdown Arlington, this whole thing is going to cost, just to build the stadium, this is according to ABC7's article, just to build the stadium alone, $2.5 billion. This isn't accounting for the whole entertainment district and changing some of the infrastructure around the old racetrack property at Arlington Heights 
to make this whole thing possible. They paid $197 million to buy that Arlington Heights race course from Churchill Downs. Now, the team was not able to get a deal with lawmakers in the spring to get tax help on the new stadium. And this is where they're, they're so far apart because the Bears need the funding and and they're just, they're not getting it yet. The public fund, it's it's not, you know, it's going to, a lot of tax money here. A lot of tax money. And this is going to be a long process just to build everything. And, you know, obviously building the stadiums first, but all the things that come after it, it's going to be a long process. So, you know, this isn't just as easy as, oh, hey, we bought the land. All right, here are the contractors. All right, let's start building. This is this was probably never going to be a smooth, easy process. I mean, you have one of the most valuable franchises in all of sports trying to locate to the Western Burbs in the 21st century where you're doing more than building just the stadium. You're you're on the bandwagon of building an entire entertainment district. And you're pretty much, in the way I see it, I think the way everybody sees it, you pretty much burn the bridges with the city of Chicago. And look, The Chicago Bears are renting Soldier Field, a stadium that is small, lacks many of the modern amenities that NFL stadiums have, isn't as easily accessible, and it's just, for the charter franchise in the NFL, in the third largest market in the nation, the Bears deserve to play at a bigger, better stadium where you can own the stadium, hold it to higher standards that the Chicago Park District isn't out there just planting grass. You can host Super Bowls, NCAA tournaments. You can have the Taylor Swift concert over at Arlington Heights Stadium and get revenue cuts from that. Renting Soldier Field and playing in a small stadium, it's just, it's not fitting for them in the 21st century. And this whole project, the idea is to make the franchise more valuable and better experiences for the fans, but mostly really to make the you know, you make the experience better for the fans, you provide them more, you host more, it's going to make your franchise more valuable. I mean, that's really the end goal here. But the Bears spokesperson who came out with the statement, Scott Hagel, on Friday said Arlington Heights Stadium is at risk, citing the property's tax assessment and the recent settlement with Churchill Downs, which they believe fails to reflect the property is not operational and not commercially viable in its current state. So the Bears are trying to do their due due diligence and there could be an issue here or this could be one big bargaining chip. And I think it might be a little bit of both. I think that this is going to be harder than they thought with this property tax and with the tax funding that they're going to need to build this whole thing. But I do believe that they are going to fight every way they can, work as hard as they can to finally get this middle ground and Part of the process is having bargaining chips. And this Naperville thing, I think right now, is a bargaining chip. It's a a negotiation tactic. I just don't know how valuable of a negotiation tactic it is. Listen, Naperville is, by population, fourth largest city in Illinois. It's further away from the city from Arlington Heights. It's not like going to Joliet or Rockford, but... It's further than Arlington Heights. And at least with Arlington Heights, you know, I know there's 
concerns about infrastructure, transportation, whatnot, logistics for Arlington Heights. Okay. I mean, that's obviously something that's going to need to be hammered out, but at least you have that massive track of land that you currently own, that you're currently doing the demolition on to build this whole thing. You think Arlington Heights. Okay. I see that, but Naperville, Naperville, what are you going to host NFL game day and bears games at North central college? Is Jeff Joniak going to be broadcasting up in that uh, North central booth? Are the post-game shows with Ed Obradovich and Dan Hampton going to take place in the award-winning North Central College uh, radio station? You're not going to build it in downtown Naperville, that's for sure. Are you going to do it on one of the golf course properties? Somebody at work told me that that might be where they're looking at, but it's still, it just, it's really hard for me to imagine the Chicago Bears in Naperville. I like Naperville. I'm not trashing Naperville. So anyone out there who lives in Naperville, I'm not slandering you guys. Listen, I'm from Elmhurst and there is no way in flying hell they would ever move to Elmhurst. But I'm just saying like, this isn't some rinky-dink town, but it's, you, you think Arlington Heights, Naperville, Arlington Heights, Naperville, you see more logic with Arlington Heights. It is closer to the city. You have the track of land. It's closer to the airport. So I don't really know how valuable this bargaining chip is. And the other thing, too, that's very interesting. Before I get to that, I do want to read the statement. You've probably heard it, but I'll reread the statement from the Chicago Bears. Quote, we will continue the ongoing demolition activity and work towards a path forward in Arlington Heights, but it is no longer our singular focus. It is our responsibility to listen to other municipalities in Chicagoland about potential locations that can deliver on this transformational opportunity for our fans, our club, and the state of Illinois. This whole Arlington Heights project is being called like one of the biggest projects in Illinois history. I mean, you're moving the most valuable franchise in the state and one of the most valuable franchises in the world and basically building a whole district and stadium for them so yes it is and that's going to require a shit ton of money and again it's no surprise that this is going to take a lot more work and i i just they bought the land they're commencing demolition you can sell the land sure i mean if it doesn't work out and it very well could not But I still, as a betting man, think that this is going to eventually work itself out and they are going to be in Arlington Heights. I truly do believe that. It just might be further down the road. It just might get uglier before it gets prettier, which honestly it already is. But, you know, I I think this is going to happen. I I still do think it's going to happen. And the whole Naperville thing, going back to that, this is very interesting because it kind of sounds like the Naperville mayor is going rogue because this was pointed out by Waddle and Sylvie on their uh, sports afternoon talk show. So I'm going to defer to this Facebook post. This is by Ian Holzhauer. He is one of the councilmen of the city of Naperville. He posted this quote, I had no part in the Bears stadium letter, even though it was perpetrated to be on behalf of the city of Naperville. Naperville does not have a strong mayor form of government, as do cities like Chicago, Detroit, or L.A. Ordinarily, 
nine council members would listen to your input before issuing a statement on your behalf. I learned of the Bears' letter in real time, just like you. Going back just 20 years, Chicago committed $432 million in taxpayer dollars for a stadium that is now being left behind. Yet the costs will continue. We don't even know Naperville's expected costs yet. It already has been proclaimed in an official statement on behalf of the city that being the home of the Chicago Bears would unlock tremendous economic benefits for our community. Is that still true if it involves increasing sales taxes at Naperville restaurants and stores? If so, for how many decades? What if the deal shortchanges our school district, an issue that is plaguing the Arlington Heights proposal? Do we expect the public subsidy to be the higher, lower than the $432 million the Bears negotiated in 2002, considering all the inflation that has occurred since then? Regardless of your thoughts, let's restart the democratic process. He then proceeds to post a photo of Cody Parkey as he's about to kick the double doink. So that's interesting. And that was posted two days ago, by the way. We're recording Monday night. That was posted two days ago. So I don't really know how valuable of a bargaining chip this really is. But I do think it is intended to be a bargaining chip. They say the words at risk. It's, they're not giving up on this Arlington Heights by any means. They're doing the demolition. They're working at it. So this is going to be an interesting saga. Are other organizations from other cities, or cities really themselves, organizations wouldn't do it, but the cities themselves, would other, other suburbs say, hey, let's get in on this too. Maybe we can propose something. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But I'm just curious to see how this is all going to work out because the Bears the state, you know, the tax assessment and where they're going to get the public funding. It is all just so far apart right now. And, you know, people worry, you know, you do your due diligence and you're suddenly concerned. And I do think there is some legitimate concern here. I don't think they're just blowing smoke up your ass when they're saying that they're concerned. But I think that this is part of the bargaining chip process of this whole thing. I'm not an expert on this kind of thing, so I can't really say much more. But all I can say is, Let's just wait and see, because I don't think that this is going to just fall through with the snap of a finger, even though this news was pretty sudden, pretty jarring. But I'm going to read it as a bargaining chip while they work out some kinks that are still pretty big kinks. That's really what I have to say about that. Anyway, moving on. So we discussed the Bears, Arlington Heights, Naperville. The Bears themselves, you know, we're in the offseason. There's OTAs and whatnot, and um, we're still still hoping that the Bears could add a little bit of pass rush this offseason. And I think that is right now my biggest concern for the team. Obviously, you have a quarterback that's still trying to prove himself, and the line's improved, but frankly, I'm still a little worried about that especially if guys get hurt, but ugh, you need to get to the quarterback. You just do. To win in the NFL, you need to put pressure on the quarterback. You need to stop the run because I think our secondary is pretty good. And you know what? The more pressure you get on the quarterback, the better your secondary is going to play. 
And our linebacking core is probably the most improved aspect of this team since last year. But we'll see what Ryan Poles can do because I, I don't know what he's going to do. He's he's got he just he has to add more pass rush. I I don't think there's any question that you have to add more pass rush if you want to succeed next year. And listen, I think the Bears, I don't know how good they're going to be next year, but I think the goal is going to be compete. Last year, you tore it down to the studs, you tanked. You're not going to do that for multiple years. You might not be in your prime window to win a Super Bowl next year, but you have to go into next year with the idea of winning games. You have a pretty favorable schedule. The NFC itself is pretty top-heavy. Obviously, the Eagles are far and away number one. Number two, I think you'd put San Francisco. Number three, Dallas. Number four, you know, everything past that. You know, you don't have Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay anymore. How good are the Packers going to be? Do we think the Vikings are going to repeat last year? They might not have Dalvin Cook. Uh, A little about them. Is this going to be the Lions year? That's the team I'm worried about the most. And, there, you know, there's a lot of question marks. I think the Seahawks could be pretty good. Is Geno Smith going to replicate what he did last year? I don't know. How are the Giants going to do in year two, still with Daniel Jones under center? I still think they'll be competitive and, you know, be in the playoff mix. I just, I think they got a really good coach, a really, really good coach in Brian Dable out there in New York. But I just, I think you're limited with, a guy like Daniel Jones at quarterback. I just, he's, he's not a, he's a guy that can with the right system and the right players and the right coaching, obviously could take you to the playoffs. You saw it last year and they won a playoff game, but I think with Daniel Jones at quarterback, he can only go so far. You know, and then you'll, you look at other teams around that. I don't think the Redskins, I want to call them the Redskins, the commanders. I don't think they're going to be that good. Tampa Bay without Tom Brady, I don't think they're going to be very good. I think the Saints will be competitive, but I don't think they'll be a Super Bowl team. I don't think the Falcons are going to be that great. I don't. I think the Cardinals are going to be, you know, down in the dumps next year. I, you know, the NFC it's it clearly runs through Philadelphia right now, and like I said, the Lions scare the hell out of me, but. You know, what if something happens there? You know, what if, you know, the system they have, what if there's some sort of regression in terms of teams figuring out their scheme? What if, you know, they have key injuries and, you know, if they have key injuries, you know, you're not able to execute. Listen, Jared Goff, I think in the system he's in is perfectly fine quarterback, but he's not going to win you games. On He's, he's not Joe Burrow. He's not Pat Mahomes. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not that type of guy. But if you give him the time to throw, the right system, the guy schemed open, he'll be able to read and get those guys the ball. It's just, but as Sean says, you put pressure on him and he tends to crack. So I, I think the I'm picking the Lions to win the NFC North. I think they're going to be good potentially, but you know, it is the NFL and things, you know, one one thing goes wrong, two things go wrong. And, you know, the Lions, they had a nine and eight year last year, up and coming team. But, you know, year two, this is going to be really their time to prove it if they're real or not. 
And then the rest of the questions, the division, I think the Vikings are going to come down a little bit. I think the Packers are a big mystery. I don't know how good Jordan Love is. All I'm saying is the Bears are not in the AFC where you have all these powerhouse teams or, or you play in a division that has the Bills, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Jets with Aaron Rodgers now. I mean, you're not in that situation. You're in a situation where you can win games and you can make a push. I truly don't know what this team is going to look like next year. I mean, they could disappoint. They could be really good. But there's an opportunity for you because you play in a conference that has a lot of weak links. And if you're an upcoming team yourself, take advantage of it. Your offense should be better if that offensive line holds up and Justin Fields does take the next step because he took some steps last year, but he's still got a lot to work on. He's still got a lot to prove. You protect him. He plays better. You can't use wide receiver as an excuse next year. You got DJ Moore. You got a whole year of Chase Claypool. And if Mooney stays healthy, you know, you, you, you got you to take a step forward with that. And then, you know, the defense... I know if they can't get much pressure, it'll it'll hurt you. But if you can stop the run more efficiently and have a good secondary, you can win more games than you did last year. It's just how many more games can they win? How's Justin Fields going to take that next step? A lot of questions being asked. But we're going to go in the offseason, continue, and with training camp is going to be here before you know it, and we're going to be watching preseason before you know it. So... We just keep counting down the days. So let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about a guy who is not officially a Chicago sports legend yet, but in a few weeks, we're going to see the Chicago Blackhawks draft Connor Bedard. And he said something today. On TNT pregame show for the Stanley Cup Finals, as the Stanley Cup Finals between Florida and Vegas are going on, if you really give a shit. Which, hey, you know what? Florida and Vegas are two pretty fun teams to watch. So, I'll give them that. But, this is what Connor Bedard said on the TNT pregame. If they, being the Blackhawks, decided to take me, that would be unreal. With the history and the other sports and the culture there, and their love of sports... I'd be incredibly honored. So if you had any fear that he wouldn't want to play here, Blackhawks fans, I think you could breathe a sigh of relief. Because when that day comes, when the first overall pick is going to be announced and Connor Bedard puts on the Blackhawks sweater and hat, we're going to have the next generational talent. And that's just so freaking exciting. So unbelievably exciting. Connor Bedard in a Blackhawks uniform. Tickets being sold at the United Center. For a team that's probably not going to be any good next year. They're not going to be looking to compete for a Stanley Cup next year. You have the rock which you're going to build your next foundation and your next era on. And you're going to have a farm system filled with young players This draft class is so deep. And you're going to be thinking, there's Connor Bedard. There's our centerpiece. Look at all these guys that they have under control 
wherever they're playing, whether it's in the minors or WHL or college, wherever it is, is that the farm system stock is going to continue to grow with all these draft picks that Kyle Davidson has accumulated while having Connor Bedard on your team. It's a pretty, pretty solid outlook. And I think it's really going to be a fun day when he takes the ice for the first time in a Blackhawks sweater. So I'm just counting down the days for that. And I don't have much else to say about the Blackhawks than that. So counting down the days, let's keep going to it. There are two teams in Chicago that are obviously playing right now. The boys of summer, the baseball teams, the Cubs and the White Sox. And yeah, neither team's above 500 right now, but you know, there's some interesting things going on on either side of town. I'll start with the White Sox right now. Every time I think the White Sox are going to take their final plunge and it's going to be like, okay, this is over. They have a nice little win streak. Last week, they lose two or three to the Angels. In the finale, Mike Trout and Shoei Otani absolutely club you. Like hit record-breaking home runs at guaranteed right field. Absolute missiles, and you lose the series. And you're like, okay, we're seven and a half back now. The Twins have won some games. This kind of feels like it's it. But wait, they play the Detroit Tigers next. Team that's pretty banged up. And the White Sox take care of business and sweep them. They didn't necessarily score a lot of runs, but they sure as hell pitched good. Michael Kopech continues to pitch really well. You had a really, really solid performance from their bullpen throughout this whole series. And you got the timely hits, including a Jake Berger walk-off grand slam, who Jake Berger has been your number one power producer Especially at home. Jake Berger has been awesome at home in terms of offense. And he gives you an exciting walk-off grand slam to cap off a sweep. And here you are, five and a half back. And you're still not out of it. And this cycle just continues. Just when you think they're done, they win a few and get back into it. And then how many times have we seen they get back into it and then they kind of fall again? Well, here's the thing. You got to pick a lane. You either got to be in it, like actually in it, within arm's reach or in first place, or just bottom out. Because just lying in no man's land does you no good. You need to make your decisions come trade deadline easier. Do you try to buy because you think you're in it or you're in first place? Or are you well out of it and you need to start selling off? These are the decisions that Rick Hahn is evaluating every single day. And the White Sox are going to have a pretty challenging stretch coming up. You're going to go and play the Yankees in New York. Then you're going to come home and play the Marlins. And the Marlins have been, you know, better than I think people give credit for. And then you're going to face a number of good teams, including the Dodgers. So... It's, it's a stretch of tough opponents, but this is pretty much your time to shine. If you are the team that you thought you were going to be, 
a playoff contender, you have to beat the good teams. Now's your time to do it. Go out there and beat the Yankees. Go out there and beat the Dodgers. Go out there and show that you belong in this race. Pedro Gafal, this is your team now. Show us what you're really made of. Motivate that team. Get them ready every day and focused. Get the production from your guys. Because right now, and knock on wood, do not want to jinx anything. Absolute knock on wood. You're, you're mostly healthy right now. You have Eloy back. He's been hitting pretty well. Your starting rotation right now, you have Clevenger back. And not a big fan of Clevenger, obviously, but he is back in the rotation. And, you know, he did pitch pretty well against the Tigers. I believe it was five shutout innings. And listen, you got to stay healthy. You got to go out there and get the most from your guys. You need Tim Anderson to play like Tim Anderson. You need Eloy and Robert mashing. You need Mankata mashing. You need Yasmani Grandal to hit. You need your starting pitchers to pitch. You need your bullpen to close games out. This is your time to shine. And that division sucks. No one's running away with it, and I don't think anybody's going to get exponentially better. The Guardians might, you know, get a little better because they got Tristan McKenzie back, one of their star pitchers, and in his debut back this season, he absolutely mowed down the Twins. But I, I don't see them going on the type of run they went on last year. I don't think they have enough firepower to do that. And the Twins, the Twins, you, you look at some of their numbers and you're like, how is this team not further ahead? But they're not. So actually take advantage of that. On paper, you still are one of the more talented teams in that division. No disrespect to the Tigers. They had a good month, but they're banged up right now and I think probably going to fall down to earth a little bit. Obviously, they have some bright spots in Detroit, but unfortunately, one of their biggest bright spots in Riley Green is now hurt, as is pretty much their entire starting rotation. So with all the injuries they have, it's probably going to come back down to earth where the teams ahead of you are going to be the guardians who you've handled and the twins. And I don't see any of those teams just going and running away with it. At least not right now. Things could change in a month for better or for worse, but I know it's annoying to constantly hear, but they're, they're still not out of it. And the thing is that this is supposed to be your window. So If you're not out of it, then you better try to go for it. But if you're clearly not going to be in it, then you need to make some tough decisions. You just can't sit in no man's land. It's just, it's not going to do you any good. You don't want to do what you did last year and basically just run it back. You're going to have to make some decisions, whether it's buy or sell, Because if you're going to buy, if the the White Sox get back in it or even take over first place, you're going to need some reinforcements. So you're going to have to evaluate how you're going to buy that. And if you're not and you're thinking about the future, you're going to have some decisions to make. This next month, I think, is going to tell a lot. You just don't want them in a month to continue to be between five and six back. It's it's, it's, It's go time. And there's one more thing about the White Sox that's very important. 
Liam Hendricks made his triumphant return from fighting cancer. His first game against the Angels. He came out to a roaring ovation, fans chanting his name, him holding back tears, his family going crazy. It was a beautiful moment for sports and humanity. A guy who plays with so much emotion, who was liked by so many people around him to fight off a horrific disease and come back in such awesome fashion. You got to love it. And no matter what the performance is, the human element triumphs all. It, it doesn't matter if he comes in, strikes out the side, or gives up 10 runs. The fact that he got healthy and got out there, that is a win, no matter what. And it was amazing to see him come out to such an, a roaring ovation in front of the home fans. And then on National Cancer Survivors Day, guess what? He pitches a scoreless inning, and the, the White Sox go on to win. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's got to be really emotional for him. So a big props to Liam Hendricks. God bless you, Liam Hendricks. The whole world is rooting for you. We love you all the way. You have our support from this show and our listeners. And, you know, keep going out there and doing what you're doing and keep aspiring people all around to keep fighting the good fight and just give us, you know, giving us such a good feel-good story because cancer affects everybody. And... Every day we wish there was just some way to just have a cure for it. We just do. So while we continue to fight to find that cure, keep up with what you're doing, Mr. Liam Hendricks, because it is a really, really great story. Hats off to you. Now we're going to switch over to the Cubs. So. Man, I mean, it's just, it's a roller coaster of emotions on the North side. After getting swept by the Reds in just brutal fashion, out against the Tampa Bay Rays, the best team in baseball. Marcus Stroman is a stud. He is one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. He goes out and throws a complete game shutout one hitter against the Tampa Bay Rays. The team that is statistically best in like every single category. He just mowed them down. The only hit he gave up was a little bloop. And then he got out of that inning on a double play. Locked in. You didn't doubt him at any point. He was just pumping over strikes and getting ground balls and executing the right pitches. He looked phenomenal. And then the next game, you have Kyle Hendricks come out and as I, as I said it on Twitter, pitched like a game manager in the NFL, like a quarterback being a game-managing quarterback. He pitched to his defense. His defense backed him. You had great plays by Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner, and you were able to go out there. And, and say Suzuki, too. He had a good catch, too. And you were able to go out there and get a win. And also, big cojones to Albert Alzali, who got – a six-out save that night and just absolutely blew smoke by the Tampa Bay Rays. That was great to see that the the energy that Albert Alzelay brings is really, really special. I really, really like that guy. And I've said for a few years now, I always thought that Albert Alzelay was going to serve better as a reliever. And so far this year, it's looked pretty good. And I hope I don't jinx it. But so far, so good. 
And then you just run into the problems again in the finale. When you had a sweep at your grasp. And unfortunately, Mark Leiter Jr., who's been excellent this year, didn't have it. Gives up a couple of home runs, one to tie it, one for the race to take the lead. But you're still only down by one. But there you are, eighth inning, two on the corner for the Cubs, one out, and then bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, one out, and you don't get a single run. A brutal, gut-wrenching, just fist-through-the-wall loss. Like, you can't, you, you had that sweep at your grasp. You've let so many games go this year because you couldn't get that big hit. And again, you couldn't get that big hit. Insult to injury. Justin Steele left in the third inning with the forearm injury. Wisniewski came in and looked fantastic, by the way. Really, really dang good. And on top of losing a gut wrencher, you were worried about Justin Steele. Because losing Justin Steele for the season would just, that would kill every, that would be like, okay, you're you're screwed, pretty much. You're screwed. Because Justin Steele has been incredible. It ends up being minor. He's on the 15-day IL. Going to miss two starts at least. You never know. It could be more. But, you know, we were fearing the worst, and it doesn't look like right now that it is indeed the worst. So if he has to miss a few starts and he comes back perfectly perfectly healthy, okay, we can get by. You just don't want to lose him for the rest of the year. And then you go to San Diego, and tonight as we're recording, they're going to play the finale. So they'll either win three of four or they'll split the series. Either way, they have clinched a season series win against the Padres. Now, game one and game three, those are the games you won. In game one, you had good pitching again. Tyone looked much better. Encouraging sign. And your bullpen shut it down. Good stuff. You didn't hit much, but you did just enough. But then, Sunday's game. Miguel Amaya hits his first career home run. Awesome stuff. Love Miguel Amaya. Great to see him hit the ball hard. He goes three for three. You get Jan Gomes, Trey Mancini getting in on the home run splurge. Marcus Stroman is an ace again. Easy 7-1 to one win. Great. Cool. But we have to talk about that game Saturday night. When you put out a triple-A lineup against you, Darvish, our old friend you, Darvish. And I've said this before, I don't like ragging too hard on professional players. They're better at what they do than 99% of people on this planet. And I know that fighting for a job is very, very difficult. It is not personal at all. But when you have Miles Mastroboni and Edwin Rios, who barely plays, and when he does play, you're just, you're not getting any production. You know, this is a guy who's 29 years old and he's pretty much been kind of that 4A depth player throughout his career with the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, last year, he had seven home runs in 27 games. It's 244, 293, 500. 
And, you know, he's hit, he had 21 homers in his career, 20 of them with the Dodgers. And it's like, okay, he's kind of that tweener guy. He's got a little bit of pop, you know, but he's, he's two for 28. He's batting 071, a homer and two RBIs. He's barely playing and you're just, you're, you're not getting any, any offensive production from Edwin Rios. And you had Miles Mastroboni leading off too. And then as the catcher, it, Tucker Barnhart has really, really struggled. And he struggled in Detroit. And listen, Tucker Barnhart was never here to be an offensive guy. When he was in his prime over in Cincinnati, he was a gold glove defender, you know, veteran catcher first. Okay, fine. But you've seen him struggle a little bit at some of the stuff he was supposed to be good at. And, you know, he had some injuries recently. So I just, he just kind of seems washed. I mean, you're getting nothing from the bat. And he was never a good hitter, never known for hitting like many of those types of catchers. But I mean, you're getting nothing from that spot. It's an automatic out. And if you're not going to be exceptional at catching, then it kind of feels like you're just, what's what's the point? You got to play Miguel Amaya. Him and Gomes should be the catchers. And like, if you really want to do the third catcher thing, I, I guess, but you just, right now, you're just not getting anything out of Tucker Barnhart. and. It just, it feels like his best days are behind him. Just like with Eric Hosmer, who you've already DFA'd. And the Cubs had no chance Saturday. No chance. I mean, beating you Darvish is always difficult. But with the lineup they put out there, for the sake of being lefty-righty matchup, if your lefties can't hit, that's not going to do you much good. It's just not going to do you much good. And, you know, the next day, Miguel Amaya is the DH. He goes three for three. Jan Gomes is playing. He hits a home run and obviously continues to do well behind the plate with his pitching staff. And you get a good day from Nico. You get another big hit from Dansby. And, you know, things look better. And and I, I get it. The guy they were facing yesterday was better than... It was a better matchup for the Cubs than facing you, Darvish. Even with a fully healthy lineup... For the Cubs, like I said, facing you, Darvish, is no easy feat. But, I mean, it was it was just, it was men versus boys that game. And, you know, Drew Smiley was, meh, meh, not terrible, not great. But it, it didn't really matter when you can only squeak out, like, what, two hits? Doesn't really do you much. So, my whole point here is, the Chicago Cubs shouldn't be in a position at this point to continue with the washed up 4A stuff at the frequency that they do. I understand Cody Bellinger's hurt and give Mike Talkman credit. He's played pretty dang well for coming up uh, from AAA. I'll, I'll give him that, but you got too many holes in a lineup that you, you, you could have gotten more productive talent in there. And you didn't. You relied a lot on bargain basement shopping. 
and I'm not saying the Cubs are cheap, 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 you know, but you, you got to be more willing to take some more risks and spend a bit more on some of those positions. There, there were plenty of bats out there this offseason that you could have brought in, even a veteran catcher that had more offensive production than Tucker Barnhart at this point of his career. Or bring in another DH. You know, J.D. Martinez, Michael Conforto were available. You had Justin Turner available. You know, there there were bats out there. And you've just, you've opted much for, you know, these types of 4A guys and guys who just aren't hitting anymore. They're past their primes. Like Eric Hosmer. We, we've just seen too much of that. You want to do it last year when you're still in transition, fine. But if you're going to claim that you're going to compete... It's hard to compete when you have this many holes in a lineup, this many automatic outs. I think that they optimize the lineup better the next day. And then hopefully that's kind of more what it's like going forward when you have Amaya in there and Jan Gomes in there. I'm not saying they're going to be tearing the cover off the ball all the time, but it's more productive than other choices. And look, Nick Magical right now is killing it in AAA. And I know Nick Magical has his limits, but if you were to choose between Master Boney and Magical, Master Boney, I think, has a better eye at the plate, but doesn't hit the ball. At least Magical can make contact. He's not going to put together a walk like Master Boney can, but prime example in that Rays loss, you know, a ball four ties it and you swing through ball four, or you need to just put the ball in play. Magical would have at least put the ball in play. Could have been an easy double play or it could have squeaked through. I don't know, but Master Boney was overpowered and struck out. And it's just, you don't want big moments in a season that you claim you're supposed to be competitive in. Even if you're not a World Series contender, which they're not, they never were. But you want more productive guys in there in those situations. And that's just been incredibly frustrating. But... Hopefully, we can continue to build on some of the goods that we've seen. You know, the starting pitching overall looking really good. Um, you know, you're you're seeing Dansby Swanson continue to perform. Ian Happ is in a pretty bad slump, so let's hope he works his way out of that. I uh, love to see Miguel Amaya continue to see what he can do. The other thing is, I mean, let's let's be quite blunt. Matt Mervis is struggling pretty badly right now. It just looks really, really overmatched, but I don't know what good you do just sending him back to AAA. We know he can hit AAA pitching. I mean, I think eventually you can, but like at this point, you almost feel like you need to kind of let him get right up here. And if you're really not seeing anything, then I think, okay, then you send him down. I don't know exactly when that threshold would be, but I do think there has to come a time where you got to say, you know, you got to make adjustments up here or we might have to send you down. I just, I don't want to send him down just yet. Cause I just don't know if it'll do you any good, but just to be blunt, it's, it hasn't been pretty. It has not been pretty. And you knew there was going to be learning curves and growing pains. And hopefully this is just part of a process that turns into something better because the production at first base since Anthony Rizzo left has been less. Less than desired, much, much less than desired, but we'll see how things go as we go forward. And honestly, with that, 
since it's just me, this is going to be a shorter show. I think that is actually going to do it for Bill Swirsky's Sports Talk Chicago this week. I want to thank you all for listening. Please hit subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Swirsky Sports. You can follow me at ShyFanPack2. And be sure to check out our website, SwirskySports.com, Facebook Swirsky Sports. Until next week, when hopefully Sean is back, I'm Alex. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, I don't want her. You can have her. She's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like... Remember, New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on the plains. Bears, 31, the negative 7. The Bears! Oh, when the Bears go bearing down...